Sigmund Freud tried to explain human behavior in terms of motives that people are not aware of. He said that the unconscious and what happens in it is responsible for a lot of good and less fancy stuff. Yes, we're gonna talk about the father of psychoanalysis. A man who was a motivational determinist, as to say, behavior is determined by mental motivation causes. And these causes, for him, are unconscious. Having said that, let's go deep into the relevant material for this topic. The topographical model of mind. Freud developed a topographical model of mind whereby he described the features of the mind's structure and function. Freud used the analogy of an iceberg to describe the three levels of mind, and these three levels are the conscious, the preconscious, and the unconscious. First of all, the conscious, it is what we are aware right now. Second, the preconscious represents ordinary memory, things that can be brought to awareness easily. For example, when you remember your mom's phone number or when you try to remember what you studied in the previous block. And the third, the unconscious. It is the part of the mind that is not directly accessible to awareness. It is where the personality operations take place. Here in the unconscious is where the feelings, thoughts, urges and memories that are outside of our conscious awareness live. He said that the unconscious contains contents that are unacceptable or unpleasant, such as feelings of pain, anxiety or conflict. These three components uh, would form the mind of the human being, but he also wanted to explain the components of personality, and he made the structural model. In this model, he proposed, personality has three components, and they interact to create the whole complexity of behavior. These three elements are the id, the ego, and the superego. The id, it is the original component present at birth. It is all the inherited, instinctive, and primitive aspects of our personality. We have to say that id works 100% in the unconscious, and it's linked to biological processes. It's kind of the engine of personality. We can say that it's our little devil sitting on our shoulder. It says, hey, you want to do that? Damn, do it. Because of this, we can say that the id follows the pleasure principle. This means that all needs should be satisfied immediately. Any hunger should cause an attempt to it. It doesn't matter the situation. And if you don't do it, there is a tension state. This is why, to satisfy this need, that the id takes the primary process. In this process, we make an unconscious mental image of an object or event that would satisfy the need. For example, in case of a child, it would be the unconscious image of a mom's breast, for example, or a bottle of milk. Okay, so we take the primary process to satisfy the id needs. And this experience, this image of what we would like to have, it's called wish fulfillment. But wait, because uh, reducing tension through primary process has a little problem, that it does not connect with reality. It's an image that your brain made up. And as a result, we need a second component of the personality, the ego. As we mentioned, it evolves from the id and harnesses part of the id's energy for its own use. 
The ego tries to make sure that the its impulses are expressed effectively by taking into account the real world, which was something that didn't take into account the, the id. Then the ego interacts mostly with preconscious and conscious, but sometimes also in the unconscious with the id they need to interact. The ego follows the reality principle, and it is that takes into account external reality and internal needs. So it weighs the risks of an action before acting. If the risk is too high, we'll think about other ways to meet the need. And what is more, if there is no safe way now to meet our needs, we'll have to delay our satisfaction for later. The ego is the source of intellectual processes and problem solving. As we said, it tests the plans of actions to satisfy the needs, and this is called reality testing. But the ego has no moral sense, it's 100% pragmatic. Thus, the main goal of the ego is to delay the discharge, to delay the, the, the gratification of impulses, only if they can't be satisfied now. So the ego will try to delay until a later time when it's better for, for you. And someone who has a, like a, a good ego that, that can't keep you away from your instant gratification, we can say that it's a sign of a mature personality. We know how the ego works through the reality principle, but there is a process that the ego uses to calm the id down, and that's called the secondary process. It is basically matching the tension-producing unconscious image, as we said, the mom's breast or the mm, bottle of milk, with a real object. So, until the object can be found, the ego keeps the tension in check. You know, like the ego wants that the need of the id is satisfied, but it doesn't want to cause any trouble. And to help the ego with its pragmatism, here comes the last but not least element, the superego. Mainly, the superego are the parental and societal values that we have. By the way, the process that a person has of absorbing these values is called introjection. Good, so inside the superego there are two subsystems, the ego ideal and the conscience. On the one hand, the ego ideal are the rules for good behavior or standards of excellence. Um, it's, it reflects what you strive for. And uh, on the other hand is the conscience, which is the, the rules that parents disapprove and punish. What you want to avoid, basically. If you remember the iceberg, and we said that the id works in the unconscious, uh, the ego works in the preconscious and the conscious mostly, but also in the unconscious, the superego operates in all three levels of consciousness because it tries to prevent id impulses. Um, it also tries to force the ego to act morally. Remember, like the, the ego is just pragmatism. And it also tries to guide the person toward perfection in thoughts. In this case, this is the angel sitting on our shoulder. But it's not all good because a person whose superego is too strong all the time, that's so tiring and, and this person may feel guilty all the time. So the healthiest personality is to have the three of them, id, ego and superego, well balanced. To keep going with personality, Freud said that personality has two drives, which are like biological processes operating via the id. 
a drive, which is sometimes translated as instincts, let's say, uh, this drive has two elements, a biological need and its uh, psychological representation. For example, lack of water in the body cells is a need, a biological need that creates a psychological state of thirst, which leads to a desire of water. Well, so there are two types of drives, one related to life, another related to death. The life or sexual instincts, also called eros, they deal with survival, reproduction and pleasure. They're not necessarily erotic urges. And this energy of the instincts is called libido. On the other hand, the death instinct, also called thanatos, well, they aren't always visible. And let's get a little bit dark here because, well, I'm not gonna say that we desire to die, but he said that unconsciously, we have the desire to go back to nothingness. And because of that, there is a gene-directed suicide process, and it is called apoptosis. Here in these drives in the Thanatos is where the aggression arises. And this kind of looks like, a, like a, a Greek mythology because it's like a battle between Eros and Thanatos. And if Eros blocks a Thanatos drive, Tension remains and it can lead to aggression. So aggression is self-destructive urges, but turned onto others. During this battle, if the tension is not released, every time it gets greater, till the moment it can't be longer constrained. And then the impulse is like uh, unleashed, you know? This is called the catharsis, like bah, the bomb. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen, but well, in this, in this catharsis, where, where, where aggression takes place, I mean, a person who's aggressive thinks that that should reduce tension and dissipate the urges energy. This is why some people think that aggression will make them feel better. But obviously, the evidence doesn't really agree with that. Okay, so we know now what Freud thought about the mind formation, the personality formation. But is it something that appears just like that, or there is an evolution of personality? Uh, of course, it's an evolution. It's something that starts when we are born and ends like probably when we die. And this evolution is what Sigmund Freud called the psychosexual stages of development. They are called psychosexual stages because each stage represents the fixation of libido. Remember libido, like this energy we have inside that sometimes it can be translated as drive or instinct. Each stage represents the, the libido in, on a different area of the body. As a person grows uh, physically, certain areas of their body become more important as sources of potential for, uh, frustration or pleasure or, or both. And these stages are one, the oral stage, it starts when we're born and it lasts till we are more or less 18 months. Here the libido is centered in a baby's mouth. It gets the satisfaction from putting all sorts of things in its mouth and well to satisfy the libido and thus the it demands. So this stage in life is like focus on oral or mouth orientated, you know, such as sucking, biting, uh, breast feeding uh, and this stage has two substages, the oral incorporative phase and the oral sadistic phase. The oral incorporative is more about licking and sucking and sadistic phase is more like biting. 
I mean, at least still we are 18 months, but even when we are adults, we can see some signs of of this stage. We see oral personalities all around us, such as smokers or na nail biters or finger chewers. I don't know. Cocksuckers? No. <laughs> okay, to anal stage. It starts at 18 months and it lasts till our third year, more or less. The libido now is focused on the anus, and the child derives great pleasure from defecating. So the major conflict at this stage is what is called the toilet training. The child has to learn to control their bodily needs, and developing this control leads to a sense of accomplishment and independence. Very important, the success at this stage is depending upon the way in which parents approach toilet training. But well, parents who use praise and rewards for using the toilet at the appropriate time encourage, encourage positive outcomes and, and help children feel capable and protective. On, like in the other, on the other hand, like non-appropriate parental responses can result in negative out outcomes. Um, Freud suggested that this, well, these negative outcomes is what is called the anal expulsive personality and can lead uh, to an individual who's messy, wasteful, or with a destructive personality. Phallic state from the third year to the end of the fifth year. The primary focus of the libido here is on the genitals. At this age, children also begin to discover the difference between males and females. Uh, he said that at this age we start to masturbate. I'm not gonna say anything, I think it's too soon, but... Well, he also believed that boys begin to view their fathers as a rival for the mother's affection. Of course, the Oedipus complex. It describes this feeling of wanting to possess the mother and the desire to replace the father. However, the child also fears that he will be punished by the father for these feelings, a fear that Freud termed castration anxiety. In other words, the fear that your father cuts your penis. This only happens for boys, for girls happens the Electra complex, and it has been used to describe the similar set of feelings experienced by girls towards uh, fathers and mothers, but Freud, however, believed that girls instead experience what is called the penis envy. And you all know what is this about, right? Like, girls are very sad because they look at themselves and say, hey, I don't have a penis, and they look at their mother and it's like, hey, you don't have a penis either. So they want to be friends of their dad because it's like, hmm, I've noticed that you have a penis, would you share it with me? That's basically what it means. But Freud wrote it, like, more seriously. Latency period. From six years to puberty. In this stage, the superego continues to develop, while the id's energies are suppressed. The children develop social skills, values, and relationships with peers and adults outside the family. That is why, I mean, the, the development of the ego and the superego here contribute to the, this period of calm. Genital state starts in puberty and lasts till adulthood. The individual develops a strong sexual interest in the opposite sex. Uh, as we said, I mean, it's, it's something that starts in puberty, but it lasts throughout the rest of the person's life. Where in earlier stages, uh, the focus was solely on individual needs, interest in the welfare of others grows during this stage. 
and the main goal here is to establish a balance between the various life areas. The ego and superego are fully formed and functioning at this point. So while younger children are ruled more by the id, which demands immediate satisfaction of the most basic needs and wants, here we are more calmed, uh, the, the, the ego and superego have more things to say. If you got to hear, if you fully understood the psychosexual stages of development, you may have realized that over the years we get a little bit fucked up and, and um, that's normal. Uh, that's why Freud emphasized a lot in, in the term anxiety. That's what we're going to talk about, about anxiety. And there are two sources for them, the unconscious sexual desires and the aggressive impulses. First of all, we have to say that anxiety is not a drive. It's not something related to the libido. It's a warning signal of the ego that something bad is about to happen. And we can see anxiety in three different types. The first one is the reality anxiety. This one arises from a danger in the, in the real world. You know, like something we've all suffered. Like when you're about to be beaten by a dog or when you're about to crash your car. Some feeling that that you can recognize. There is also the neurotic anxiety. In this case, the unconscious is totally afraid that your id impulses will get out of control and make you do something that will get you punished. So it is harder to deal with it because the sense of danger and punishment is rooted inside in the urges of the id. And the last type of anxiety is the moral anxiety. Uh, it is the, a very common feeling, this fear uh, we experience when we violate our moral code. It's this feeling of guilt or shame. And the source of this anxiety is also internally in our conscience, and that's why it's also hard to deal with it. Very nice, we know there are three types of anxiety, but how does our body fight against it? Well, so when anxiety arises, the ego responds in two ways. It can respond in coping efforts or in defense mechanism. In the case the ego chooses the defense mechanism, if it works well, the anxiety is avoided. But it is avoided, not deleted or forgotten at all. Also, what is more, this defense mechanism uh, they work unconsciously and they distort the reality in some ways. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about their defense mechanisms. Repression. It is the central mechanism of defense. We try to bring bad impulses out of consciousness. If we repress consciously, that is called suppression. It's very similar, but mostly it's an unconscious process. Uh, repression is used to block from awareness, it impulses, and painful information. For example, uh, the fact that you are unpopular, or your belief that you are unpopular in class. As I said before, uh, defense mechanism, in this case repressing, is not forgetting at all. It's just that you hide a part of the distressing memory. Denial. It is the refusal to believe an event or a condition that happened in the past or in the present. For example, a mother or a father who refuses to believe that her son or his son was killed in war. There is a main difference between the denial and the repression, and it is that 
uh, whereas the denial relates to external stimuli, we said, like a lost son, uh, repression states to internal, that is, mental stimuli, uh, the fact that you believe that you are unpopular in class. But yeah, that is true, though, that denial and repression often work together and sometimes may be difficult to differ no, from each other. Projection. This mechanism consists in reducing anxiety by ascribing your own bad traits, impulses, desires or goals onto someone else. It is a way to hide an aspect of yourself that you don't like while you're still expressing it, although, although in a distorted form. I'll say it in other words, uh, it's a mechanism in which individuals attribute characteristics they find unacceptable in themselves to another person. For example, a husband who is hostile by nature uh, might attribute uh, his hostility to his wife and say that she has an anger management problem. Rationalization. Through this defense mechanism, uh, we reduce anxiety by finding a rational explanation or excuse for an unliked behavior. For example, a person may explain a natural disaster as a God's will, very common in responses to success and failure. Or if my partner left me and went with another person, we can say, oh, it, it, much better than she or he left me. Uh, anyway, he, she was an idiot. This mechanism is very common in responses to success and failure. Personal, professional, doesn't matter. Intellectualization. It is the tendency to think about threatening cold, analytical way, and detached of emotions. This allows people to dissociate their thoughts from their feelings. For example, a woman who has been raped seeks out information on other cases and the psychology of rapists and victims, and then she takes self-defense classes in order to feel better, rather than more directly uh, addressing the psychological and emotional issues. Displacement. This is shifting an impulse from one target to another. For instance, someone who is very frustrated by his or her superiors may go home and, and kick the dog or beat up a family member. I don't know. That's displacement. Sublimation. It is similar to displacement, but takes place when we manage to displace our unacceptable emotions into behaviors which are more constructive, more socially acceptable, rather than disruptive activities. An example of this, many rock stars or great musicians that have had an unhappy life, maybe they start uh, painting to express themselves. All right, we've talked about the most important things about Freud's theory, but we still have to talk about some more things because uh, besides the defense mechanisms, there are more unconscious internal processes that give us information, I mean, that, that give information about us, better said. Uh, we're talking about the memory lapses, the slips of speech, uh, this kind of accidents. They are called parapraxis. And, well, Freud said that they provide insights into a person's true desires. For example, a person is in the middle of a speech and wants to tell their friend, oh my god, I'm so in love with Jorge, which is something that, well, I have to say that. It usually happens. But instead of saying Jorge, as she's talking fast, she says another name, maybe uh, her ex-boyfriend's name. And that could mean that she's still thinking about him. 
More things, uh, dreams also provide much information. We can find there hidden fulfillment of a desire that a person is trying to avoid experiencing. This is, I mean, the dreams are linked to the free association, which uh, Freud called the, ro the royal road. It's a method that Freud used in which the patient was lying in this uh, typical Roman couch and was encouraged to simply say anything that came to mind. In this process, in this therapy, Freud would say, are you afraid of snakes? Then you should have a conflict with your genitals. Or maybe do you consider yourself a jealous person? <laughs> okay, so you must be homosexual. Are you worried about money? Congratulations, you have problems around toilet training. Yeah, definitely Freud was very controversial. Maybe you agree with this, maybe you don't agree with that. That's why Freud's theory had quite a lot of criticism. And that's the final topic for for today. The theory is hard to test, first of all. I mean, his concepts are defined very ambiguously. It's a very metaphorical theory, that's what the, the other theorists would say. Also, we have to mention an important word, which is the false I need to say this properly. Falsifia, falsifiability. Now, falsifiability. Um, it's an important future of science. It is the principle that a proposition or theory could only be considered scientific if it was possible to establish it as false. And, well, actually, for its theory, couldn't be confirmed, but also couldn't be disconfirmed. You know, he developed his ideas from observing a very small set of cases um, that were selected in a biased way and I mean, you know like how important is the sample in in scientific research that's why Freud's, Freud's ideas were a little bit distorted uh, one last thing because he proposed a structural model and he said it was made of three parts mm, scientific like actual scientific research says that that's not really true there's no id ego and superego and that's that's all we can say that the id exists but it's only the part of ourselves that wants that as a one year old kid wants not something that follows you forever then the ego is something we acquire later and it's just like the set of restraints we learn and the superego is the abstract rules we learn uh, when we get older and they exist but it's they're not the only things that conform our personality and this is all for me today i hope you've learned and enjoyed a lot freud's theory i hope you've laughed a lot with him and See you in the next episode.